have your Bible today, we are concluding our series through the book of Philemon. So we're going to be looking in Philemon starting in verse number 17. So I'd love for you to turn there if you have your Bible. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to tell a story about a tower. And I was thinking about you know, the, whenever you think of towers or the most famous towers in the world, I can, I can think of, a, of just two. I admit that Maybe that means I'm not that educated. I think, of course, of the Eiffel Tower. And then what, what would be another tower you would think of? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's the top of my game. That's all I got. I don't know any other towers. I'm sure there's more, but that's all I've got. Now, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is interesting. When they first started building the the Tower of Pisa, it was almost a thousand years ago. But within like a few weeks as they were building it, it started to lean. Isn't that interesting? Almost from the very beginning, it it was off kilter. And uh, they discovered the reason why you would think that they would have thought about this beforehand. But the town of Pisa, that name Pisa, it literally means marshy land. Now, I'm not much of an engineer or anything like that, but my guess is that that building a structure on marshy land more than likely is not a very good idea. And so as they built it, they finally built it, and as the years went on, every year it would just sort of kind of tilt over a little bit more and more until finally it got to a point where it was about like 17 to 20 feet out of plumb. I mean, it was leaning that far over. And so they said, you know, tourists were still going up, and they said, we need to shut this thing down and fix it. So in 1990, they actually closed down the Leaning Tower of Pisa. They went around the marshes, and they drained them out. They removed clay from all around the Tower of Pisa, and they put these steel beams in, cables, trying to hoist it up, and they, they didn't want to make it all the way straight because therefore it would no longer be the Leaning Tower of Pisa, so they left it just a little bit off kilter for the tourist, and they, they did this at a cost of about $30 million. And so the big question was, well, was that worth it? You know, was it worth $30 million to fix the tower? Well, every year there's about a million people that go and visit the Leaning Tower of Pisa, so if you go there, know that when you walk in it, it's $24 a pop. So it turned out, it's it's actually turned out to be a pretty good investment to fix it. Okay, so now here's where I'm kind of going with the story. Uh, In our world today, spiritually speaking, there's a whole lot of us that are not quite centered. A lot of us are just sort of leaning over spiritually. And if some things in our lives don't change, just being real honest with you, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to collapse. It's a lot of people who are going to fall over. And so the question is, spiritually speaking, in our lives, if you feel like that you are off kilter and you are leaning, you might say, well, well, what can I do to keep from collapsing? Or I have friends or I have neighbors that I look into their lives and I see that on the outside they look really good. But I know that on the inside they're dying. What can we do in order to reinforce them to hoist them back up so that they can find strength and power again. Well, I really believe this is one of the beauties of the church. I believe the church, a part of the church's mission, is about restoration. It's about holding people up, building people up, giving giving them strength in their lives so that they don't come collapsing down. And that's really what we're going to see today as we conclude our series through the book of Philemon. Because today in our, in our text, we're going to see the Apostle Paul giving a lesson to this man named Philemon, to the church in Colossae, on how to build up, how to support people 
and people who are new believers so that they can have strength in their lives. And I really believe that is a really a main focal point of the church. A part of the church's job is to be about seeing lives restored and changed. Now, if we're going to see that, we have to make sure that we are being built on a solid foundation. And our foundation, it, y'all, it is Jesus. Jesus is the only foundation that's going to stand the test of time. Jesus is the only way that a person can come into a relationship with God. So how does all this play out for us? Well, if we're going to look in, in uh, Philemon, verse number 17. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a background again, just a reminder. Y'all might remember this letter. It was written to Philemon. Now, now just want to make sure y'all have been paying attention the last couple of weeks. Who's the guy that wrote this book? Who wrote the letter to Philemon? Paul, yes, very good. All right, and where was Paul when he wrote the letter? He was in the pokey. That's right, he's in prison again. And so he wrote this letter, and he wrote it to Philemon, because what had happened is Philemon lived in the, what is now modern-day Greece. He had a slave whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus stole some stuff from him, and then he ran away. Now, when Onesimus ran away, he ran away to Rome, and somehow he comes into contact with Paul. And because Paul is a, is a Christian, he meets this guy, can tell he's kind of in some sort of trouble. He tells him about Jesus, and Onesimus' life is completely changed. He becomes a follower of God. Paul learns his story, and then Paul gives him some news. He says, Onesimus, man, you've got to make things right. You've got to go back to the man that you stole from. You got to go back and make things right. And Paul wrote this letter and he sent it to Philemon. And here's what he said to Philemon. He said in verse 18, And if he, Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, Paul said, charge that to my account. He was trying to build up, lift up Onesimus because he was afraid he was going to be in trouble. He wanted to strengthen him. And so it's here in our text today, we're going to see a few lessons on how we as a church, we as individuals, can build people up. Yeah, we're in the business as believers of building people up, not tearing them down. So how do we do that? Well, let's see what Paul, what he, what he suggested, or some, really some commands that he gave. He said, first of all, the first lesson in building, building up new people, new believers in Christ, is first of all, you start by being an encouragement to people. Be an encourager to people. Look with me in verse number 17. Paul wrote, so if you, and he's talking to Philemon, he said, if you consider me a partner, accept him, Onesimus, as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now remember, Onesimus has stolen from Philemon. He's run away from him. And now Paul is sending him back. He said, I got a letter. I want you to go back. We've got to make these things right. Now, if I'm Onesimus, I'm thinking, you know what? Can't we do this like long distance? Can't I just send him a letter and say, hey, bud, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And then we'll just leave it at that. Now, Paul said, you've got to go back. And so Onesimus was a man at this time. He needed some encouragement to do what was right. And so how did Paul encourage him? Well, Paul encouraged him by standing next to him by sticking his neck out on the line for Onesimus. And he did that. If you look in verse number 17, this is what Paul wrote to Philemon. 
He said, Philemon, if you consider me a partner, accept Onesimus as you would me. You know, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, as Onesimus is coming back to you, don't look at Onesimus as your slave. Look at him as if he were me standing with you. See, Paul was willing to put his neck out on the line for Onesimus because Onesimus needed some help. You know, by law, Philemon, when Onesimus came back, he could imprison him, he could have him put to death. I mean, he had the law on his side. And so Paul wrote this letter and said, don't look at him as a lawbreaker, look at him as if he was me. And you might say, well, why would that make that big of a difference? You know, if I wrote somebody a letter and said, hey, treat him like you would treat me, I mean, there'd be a lot of people like, I really don't care about you, why should I do that? Well, Paul's words carried a lot of weight. The reason why Paul, Paul at this time, he was a leader in the movement of the church, the movement of Christianity. He was a well-respected man. Uh, More than likely, Paul also was a guy who had led Philemon into a relationship with God as well. So he had some standing with Philemon. Matter of fact, he told him in verse 19, he said, Philemon, don't forget, you owe me even your own self. So when Onesimus comes, treat him well. Now, is that really that big of a deal? Yeah, absolutely. See, Paul said, treat him well. I know he's a slave, but treat him like he's me. Because whenever we are followers of God, y'all, there's not one group of people that is better than another group. We're told in Galatians 3.28, there's no Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all, it says, one in Christ Jesus. Man, that's such an important idea for us to contemplate and also to put into practice. Because there's not a hierarchy in the church that says this group is better than another group. Our job is when we see people who are struggling and suffering, is not to look down on them. It is to reach out a helping hand in order to build them up and to strengthen them. That's what Paul was doing with this new believer named Onesimus. And he was doing that because he knew when Christ comes into a person's life, it changes everything. Remember last week we said 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It says the old is gone, behold, the new comes. Now, as Christians, I think we, we've heard that verse before, and we say, I believe that. Yeah, I, I can say that all day long, I believe it. Do I put it into practice? You know, when you see people who are struggling, people who mess up, people who are about to collapse, do you really believe that if God comes into their lives, that they'll be changed? Because if you really believe it, then you're going to be an encouragement to people. You're going to encourage them to bring them to Jesus because you know Jesus changes people. Now, there's a story about a guy named Thor Heyerdahl. In, in 1947, he crossed the South Pacific Ocean in a balsa wood raft. Don't know why he did it. Had five friends with him, and they did it. And so they got him on board the raft. He said one thing they learned quickly was you really couldn't control it. He said once it starts moving, it's not like you can stop it. So if you ever dropped anything overboard, once it got beyond the raft, he said you couldn't retrieve it because you were just moving too fast. So, well, several months into their journey on this balsa wood raft, he said one of the guys slipped and fell overboard. So when he fell overboard, he got beyond the raft, 
He said, we grabbed a life preserver and we were throwing it out to him so the wind was blowing it back to us. So very quickly, that guy was getting further and further back. They thought it was a lost cause. He's gone. But one of the men on the boat grabbed the life preserver and dove into the water and got back to the man, put the life preserver around him, and they drug him back in by the rope. And his life was saved. Now, that's a, that's a cool story. I probably would have done the same thing. But I sat there and I thought, you know, there, there are times when people in life go overboard. And guys, they will not be rescued until somebody like us is willing to jump into the water with the message of Jesus and go to that person and grab them and be an encouragement to them so we can drag them to Jesus. That was what Paul was teaching in our text. He said, if you're going to build new believers, you must be an encouragement. If we're going to be an encouragement, it doesn't mean we sit by passively. We have to jump in the water and go after people. So how, how else can we build up new believers? Well, you, you want to be an encouragement, but you also want to be supportive. You have to stand with them, be supportive of them. That's what we see from Paul. If you look in verse number 18, Paul says this about Onesimus. He says, if he has wronged you in any way, or he owes you anything, Paul said, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. Now, this is where most scholars believe that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. And Paul said, listen, if he's stolen from you, if he has a debt that he owes you, Paul said, I'll take care of it. I'll pay for it. Whatever it is that he owes you. You know, it's not like Onesimus could, could pay the debt. I mean, he'd, he'd been a slave. He couldn't go to an ATM and withdraw money. He didn't have any savings whatsoever. So Paul said, whatever debt he has, I will take care of it. Why would he do that? Because he wanted him to be free from debt. And for that to happen, he needed that Onesimus needed support. And guys, let me tell you something. The fact of the matter is we need each other we all need support everybody in this room today has some sort of baggage we are all carrying around some sort of baggage in our lives and if we have other believers coming alongside us to help us with the burdens that we're carrying carrying it it, man it makes life a whole lot easier you know the other day I, I went into the house and Emily who does so much more than I do I'm sure that does not shock you she was trying to move a filing cabinet by herself. And I walked in, and I said, good luck, and then I watched TV. No, I'm kidding. I walked in, I saw what she's doing, and I said, hey, I'd like to help you. And so I went over, and I leaned over, and it's pretty amazing what happens when you have something heavy, and you're trying to carry it by yourself, and you get support from somebody else. Man, all of a sudden, it's not a burden anymore. You know, we picked that sucker right up, and we, you know, we moved it wherever we wanted to move it. But that's what happens whenever we come alongside to carry weight. Now, everybody has some sort of debt. And, and we, we live in a world today where there are a lot of people in debt. The average American, according to USA Today, has $137,000 of debt that they are carrying right now. $137,000. Now, what makes that even bigger is that the median income is $59,000 a year. So debt is a big deal. So a lot of us are carrying debt that's way too big for us to be able to carry ourselves. 
Now, sometimes we think, well, whenever it comes to my debt that I owe God, I can, you know, I'm just going to do more good things than bad things, and I can dig my way out of the hole I'm in. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in James 2.10, it says, whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. What do you think about that? I mean, I read that and I get depressed and I think, well, then that means I just won't mess up. I'm just going to live perfectly. How, how, how well are you doing at that? I mean, we don't do very well. The Bible says that we've already all screwed up. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're in trouble. So, so how does Jesus support us? That's why Jesus entered into our world in order to give his life as a sacrifice, his perfect life as a sacrifice for us that we might be freed from the burden of the debt that we owe to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Y'all, I'm grateful for that. I am so grateful for that. Now, Now, Onesimus had a financial debt. Paul said, I will pay for your debt. Can you imagine if you didn't have any debt? Do you, would your life change if you didn't have any debt? You know, I mean, I, now I know that there's a few of you, you're already living, living debt-free. You know, we're all jealous of you. But can you imagine if, if uh, somebody paid your debt and it, it, every bit of the income you had now, what if every bit of your income right now was disposable income? Would that be fun or what? Would that, would that relieve the stress off of your life to know that you are debt free? That's why Paul stepped in for Onesimus. said, Onesimus, I want you to experience freedom. I, I know people who are financially in debt. That's why we have financial peace class here. Because we want to see people move from financial debt into financial freedom. I know people who are in spiritual debt now. They're living in guilt and shame. And so that's why we want to teach people about Jesus who came here to provide freedom. That's why I believe our V group ministry is so important, so that we can support and care for one another. You know, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, the Bible says, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? We need support. We need people to come along to carry our burdens. And yet, our natural tendency is to be selfish. And that's how, that's how the church is to be different than the world. You know, there's a lot of selfishness. I, I, I read an interesting story. It's a tragic story. It was 2006. And there was a, uh, a climber who was going up Mount Everest. He was from England. His name was David Sharp. And he ended up becoming oxygen-deprived, and he just got to a point where he could no longer move. And he was, just, he was basically helpless on the side of a mountain. became a national news story because 40 different people walked past Mr. Sharp as he was dying, and not one of them stopped to help. When they came down the mountain, he was dead. He said, how in the world could people do that? Well, the common excuse was to go on this trip to climb the mountains, $10,000. It's a trip of a lifetime. And people were willing to reach the trip of a lifetime at the expense 
of a man's life. We look at that and we think, man, how tragic is that? And yet spiritually, it happens all the time. Where we are too busy to stop, to be supportive, to encourage, to point people to Jesus because we have personal goals to meet. People pass from this life without knowing Jesus. So, so what's, the, what's the lesson here for us? Well, there's a lesson is that we're going to build people. That's what we're here for. We're here to build people up. To do that, we have to be an encouragement. We have to be supportive. But then also, we are called to be people who have faith. Because the last verses I'll read, verse number 20. It says, yes, brother, may I have joy from you in the Lord. He says, refresh my heart in Christ, since I'm confident of your obedience. Paul said, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. Now, Paul was encouraging Philemon. So when Onesimus comes back, receive him with open arms. He says, matter of fact, you know what? He said, I am confident that is exactly what you're going to do. That word confident, it means certain. Now, how was he so certain that Philemon was going to do the right thing? Paul knew him. He'd watched how he'd lived his life. As a matter of fact, back in verse number 5, Paul said, Philemon, he said, I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Philemon wasn't just a talker about the things of God. He was a doer. And so Paul said, listen, Philemon, I know the way you've lived. I'm expecting the best out of you. I have faith that you are going to do what's right. Now, I looked at that and I got a little bit convicted because I thought when I think of, of what my expectations are out of, out of people, I'd have to say most of the time it's just sort of negative. Say, you know what, I don't have any confidence that you're going to do anything right. And that way, if I have that attitude, then when, when somebody doesn't do something right, then I'm not disappointed. You know, it's a way to protect myself. It's like being a Gamecock fan. You know, whenever Carolina plays Kentucky every year. Okay, every, I used to think all the time, we're going to beat Kentucky because we just beat Kentucky. Okay, we don't beat them anymore. And so now we just go into that game, and here's what I say. We're going to lose that game. Therefore, whenever I have that attitude, it doesn't bother me. When they lose the game, it's like, I told you. And if they win, it's like, well, that's icing on the cake. But it's just, it's a way to protect myself. Now, now that's one thing for me to do that. I'm just a spectator. Can you imagine if Coach, Coach Muschamp did that? Hey, guys, I know you're all going to lose this game, but try really hard anyway. It's a little, a little bit defeating for the team. You know, not even our coach believes in us. Now, here's what I like about Paul. That's not, way, that's not how Paul is. Paul looked at Philemon and said, Philemon, I know you're going to do what's right. I have faith in the way you're going to respond. Why did he have faith? Because let me tell you something. When Jesus comes into somebody's life, he will change them. All things become possible. You know, there are people who are busted and broken, who enter into our midst, who come into your sphere of influence, or who come into the church, and they are messed up. Now, here's my question. Do you look at them having faith? that God can transform that person. That God can radically change their lives. Because if we really believe that, let me tell you something, it's going to motivate us to reach people. If God restores brokenness, we're going to be excited when we see broken people. Because if they meet Jesus, they are going to be restored. Now, do you have that kind of confidence? 
Yeah, you know, I read a story about Andy Roddick. He was a tennis player, won the U.S. Open in 2004. His mom told a great story about him. She said he started, he picked up a racket when he was three and a half years old. Said he'd go in the garage and play imaginary matches. She said he won every one of them. Said he was so confident when he was seven years old for Christmas, he gave everybody in his family a tennis ball with his autograph on it. I love that. I mean, that is a kid who had confidence. Now, let me tell you something. As believers, we can be confident like that. No, no, no why can't we be confident like that? Romans 8, 16, and 17 says, The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if it's children, that means we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him so that we also may be glorified with Him. If you follow Jesus, you are a child of God. You have the power of God within you. And my desire is for you and me to be able to look at people and think, if they get Jesus in their lives, their destiny will be forever changed. If they have Jesus touch their lives, then we can know with confidence that they are destined for greatness. If we believe that, man, it's going to change the way we live, the way we act, the way we treat people. So how do we build people up? We encourage them. We support them, and we have faith that God can do great things in their lives. Now, most scholars believe that Philemon did just that. That when Onesimus came back, he received him as a brother. They became partners, and there was forgiveness, and there was restoration. There are people today that you and I know, and it could be just some of you, who are in need of restoration. Let me tell you something. It can happen. It can happen. And that is why it is so important that we care for, that we support, that we love each other, because we believe that Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for the book of Philemon, I, I thank you, Jesus, that we see the story of a man who was wronged. And yet, God, you showed him through Paul that there can be restoration, that there can be life. Lord, I pray today that there will be some people who will understand, who will see that there is not a situation, there is not a relationship that is too far gone for God to heal. Lord, I pray that we will be a church where restoration happens. Lord, that we will be a people that will demonstrate through our actions that we have faith that God is a transformer. Lord, I pray that if there are, there are lives here today that, that need restoration, God, I pray that they will find it today. Lord, that they would call out to you and say, Oh, Jesus, heal me. Jesus, this is an issue I'm dealing with, and yet, God, I've been looking at it with no faith, no trust that you can do anything. But Jesus, today, I'm going to trust you, that you will give me the strength to see victory, or that you'll give me the strength to endure whatever it is that I'm facing. Father, I pray that we will be a church that believes that Jesus is the answer. 
And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.